Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it's good for us to be able to open the scriptures together. And I hope you have a copy of God's word and you'll open to the gospel of Luke chapter four. Uh, you know, it feels like uh, this is a little bit of a, a uh, I guess almost a fake spring that we had this past week, right? Because it's gonna get cold again tomorrow, but I know I'm ready for spring. I'm excited about time change. I mean, I don't know about you, but I always look forward to having a little bit extra time. And uh, one of the things that we're doing tonight in our second Sunday night prayer service is we move the time actually up a little bit to coincide with that. So we used to do that at six, but we had Super Bowl Sunday prayer night was at four. And so many of you said like, we really like it being earlier so we can go out to eat afterwards or have a little bit more evening, get kids ready for school. So we're gonna try five this week and maybe next month too. So uh, you come tonight at 5 p.m. for that. That's gonna be good. And I know around our house, we've been kind of going through some transition stuff. And so it's just felt like, you know, it, it feels like spring, a, a new kind of birth happening. I'm excited about those kinds of things. So uh, I also want to mention to you that we're having a baby dedication in the second service, which is actually the largest baby dedication we've ever done. I really normally just do those kind of one-off. People always say, when can we do a baby dedication or be baptized? Whenever you want to, you know what I mean? Like we're always excited to have a baby dedication or have somebody baptized. And so, but we're going to have, I think it's nine uh, babies from one Sunday school class said, let's be in here. So if you want to stick around for that, we're going to do it right after uh, we do kind of our opening kind of uh, song that we sing. And so you can kind of watch and then slip out during the welcome and go to Sunday school. If you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to, to stay and see that. You know, last week we spent the majority of our time talking about Jesus's baptism. And today, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in chapter four, and what we're really going to be looking at, I think, is one of the most fascinating parts of the Gospels that we see concerning our Savior. So if you have this, I'd love for you to be there with me. We'll start in verse one here in a second. Um, but I don't think I've ever really thought about this before this week, but this has to be one of the most personal kind of stories of our Savior's life that we ever get to see. And it must have come from Jesus sharing this with the disciples at some point out of the intimacy of his relationship with them. And they, they begin to share it out because we know that when this takes place, Jesus is by himself. So let's read together from Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days to be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it's written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and time. And the devil said, I will give you their splendor and all authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you will then worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus said to him, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. I think as we get started this morning, it's really important for us to go back to something we learned last week. When Jesus was baptized at the Jordan, we tried to answer that question, why did he need to be baptized? And you remember that Jesus said, I need to do this because it fulfills all righteousness. Do you remember that John the Baptist was kind of hesitant about that and said, I don't think I'm worthy to do this. And Jesus said, don't you worry about it, permit it, because we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus was being baptized, we understand something about that, that the 10 commandments had been fulfilled by Jesus, the law had been fulfilled by Jesus, and now the the ordinance of baptism being fulfilled by Jesus, because every little part of what God wanted us to do, Jesus was able to do it and do it fully and do it correctly. But we often think about Jesus keeping the law, don't we? But we don't think about Jesus kind of staying away from temptation. And so here we see another piece of this fulfillment of Jesus being fully God and fully man and able to do this for us. It wasn't just that he kept the commandments. That would have left something missing from his everyday life that we battle when we are tempted. When Jesus left the Jordan River region, the scripture says he went to the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted. So this is an interesting thing for us to think about because this would have been an unbelievably intense time of temptation. 40 days in a row, if you imagine it, where Jesus was alone during this time. He didn't have the the fellowship of other believers to to shore him up. He didn't have a church standing behind him or the the fellowship of a life group class to say, hey, we're hanging in here with you. Just hold tight. You don't have to to give in. He didn't have an accountability partner with him calling him saying, can I check in with you, man? How are you fighting temptation today? How are things going for you? None of that. 40 days of intense temptation. We almost could think about him being on an island, so to speak, where he was alone in this. Now, I know what it's like to be tempted, and you know what it's like to be tempted, but I doubt that we understand the complexity of what's taking place here, 40 days nonstop temptation that occurred. The scripture says during this time period that Jesus didn't even eat food for 40 days. There's an intensity that has probably never been rivaled before or since Because the enemy whom the scripture scripture calls the devil was at this moment knowing that he had his best chance to wreck everything for Jesus. Let's get him alone and let's ratchet up the intensity and see if we can get him to fail. He must have said to all the demons in hell that were watching this take place. And as the 40 days of temptation ended, the scripture said after that, there were three more. So it's the 40 days of regular temptation common to man, and then after this, three more, it says. I want us to look at these three this morning and let the Holy Spirit teach us how to deal with temptation. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to take the words from the Scripture and really implant them in our lives and let us draw from this and look at these three temptations particularly this morning and see how Jesus dealt with them so that we can know how to deal with it. Because I do think that there's an element of every one of these temptations that is common to us. And as we look at Jesus' life, we'll see how to fight temptation 
by the power of the Holy Spirit and overcome it. So let's look at the first temptation. The first temptation was to satisfy a desire. That's what the temptation was. The the scripture says in verse one, Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, goes into the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil. He eats nothing and when they were over, he was hungry and the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, it's written, man must not live on bread alone. Now the first temptation probably appears to us to really be the most logical of all the temptations, right? I mean, 40 days, you're hungry, let's eat. I mean, it would be a normal thing to do. You would imagine if you'd fasted for 40 days, it would be common to break that fast and, and you would begin eating again. So this is not a wicked desire, by any stretch of the imagination, it's 100% normal. And, and, and I want you to think about it because if that's the case, then what makes this a temptation that Jesus needed to fight? Well, what it is, is that it, at its heart, it's a temptation that the devil was tempting Jesus to shortcut something to fulfill or satisfy the desire. The temptation was to take a shortcut and satisfy the desire. You may remember that in the book of Exodus, The nation of Israel had experienced something that was incredible. They'd been led out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and as they began to become a nation together and God's leading them, something happened. They they find themselves in the wilderness, and do you remember what they begin to say? We're hungry. At least when we were in Egypt, we were slaves, but we had food. Maybe we should just go back there. And when, whenever I, I'm, I'm gonna date myself here a little bit, but every time, I, every time I read that passage of scripture, I cannot help but think about the song that Keith Green wrote called You Wanna Go Back to Egypt because there's this part in it where at the end of, and, it, and it's a satirical song. I mean, it's cheesy if you listen to it today, honestly. But if you've never heard it, you might wanna Google it. I mean, get yourself a little laugh this morning. At the end of it, he's talking about how they're just, they're whining about all the, the things they used to, to have and they're complaining about manna. And he starts talking about all these things, manna bagels, manna burgers, filet of manna. You know, like we're sick of manna, right? But that's how God, in a miracle, began to feed his people manna from heaven. But you may remember also that when they were wandering, They came to a place where they needed water and God instructed Moses to take his staff and strike a rock and water would flow from it. And and they were able then to drink. And and that's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 16. And, And I think this is important because what we begin to see is that God was teaching the nation of Israel that he was going to satisfy every desire that they had. All of the natural desires, he would do it. He would be the one that provided for them. Now, let's go back to desires for a minute because there's not a thing in the world wrong with having desire. You have them, I have them, we all have them, and God places them in our lives and and they're important for us. So so in other words, I mean, when you get hungry today, is there anything wrong with eating? There's not. When you need a new shirt, is there anything wrong with buying one? There's not. When you need to rest, is there anything wrong with resting? There's not. You know, God puts the desire for intimacy and in a a marriage relationship in our lives. Is there anything wrong with that? There's not. God gives us these things. The problem, though, happens when we shortcut it because our creator knows that we need everything 
and he gives us these desires, but when we shortcut them to fulfill them in a way that we want it done, that's where the temptation comes. So the temptation from Jesus' point of view is that the devil is saying, look, I know that you're the son of God. Sure you are. Perform a little miracle right here. Now Jesus is in a place where there's lots of rocks. If you go with us to Israel, and we still have a couple more spots open, you can go with us this summer. If you go with us, you'll go to this place outside of the River Jordan region. It's not lush anymore. It's just desert. It's just rocks everywhere. It's like Satan says, hey, I know you're hungry, man. Take this stone. Do it just like that. Go ahead and fulfill that desire. Go ahead and do it. I know that you're hungry. But it's interesting the way that Jesus countered this temptation because he quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, and he just says, man shall not live by bread alone. Now this is something that the nation of Israel had been learning, that they weren't just gonna live by, every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And I think what we see over and over again in scripture is that Jesus was so tied to the Father. Do you remember him saying, I can't do anything without the Father. I don't act on my own accord. I'm not here to just do what I wanna do. And that's often different how, how we operate, isn't it? Because the way that we operate is, is like we're, we're, we're able to do whatever we wanna do, whenever we wanna do it, and however we wanna do it. But that's never how Jesus operated. Jesus was always saying, when you see me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. Let's go back to Moses for a second. You remember me saying that he, he brought the water from the rock and, and all those kinds of things. It's an important piece of the story. But Moses did it not just once, but twice. And the second time he got in trouble with the Lord. He was frustrated. Took his staff, smacked the rock, water came out. But God didn't tell him to do it. He took the credit for it. And it's interesting because when you see that in Numbers chapter 20, you see God punishing him because he's acting on his own initiative. And, and, and I want you to see, if God had told Jesus to do a miracle and turn the stone to bread, it would have been fine. But God didn't tell him to do it. Satan told him to do it. There's the difference, isn't it? Satan was challenging him to do it outside the Father's will. And Jesus knew that he didn't need to be sustained by a miracle because God could sustain him. God had already been sustaining him and he didn't have to do it to prove anything. We could do the same thing today. We could feel like we need to satisfy a desire. So we're just gonna take the shortcut, right? I, I'm gonna satisfy the desire. So maybe it's this, you know, I don't believe that God's gonna provide for me so I won't tithe. Maybe it's this, I, I mean, do you remember watching the scandal a couple of years ago of all these celebrities that were, were cheating to get their kids into colleges? Shortcut, my kid needs to go to college, needs to go to a good one. Let's just, let's bend the rule right here and just get, I mean, it's a desire, it's a good thing. Great, I mean, you wanna get education? That's a great thing, we hope you do. But you doing it in such a way that you shortcut that desire all of a sudden is outside of what God's wanting to do. So, so we wanna shortcut the desire for intimacy. So what do we do? We use one another. We consume copious amounts of pornography. Shortcutting a desire. Instead of trusting God to bring us a spouse or to be satisfied in our relationship. And when we do it, we're outside of what God has in place for us. We can never let our desires rule the day. 
To let our desires rule the day is, is to let the flesh control. And we're, we're, we're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference there for us. And so the bottom line every day that we're having to ask ourselves is, do I trust God? Because if I do, then I've got to do it his way. But the second temptation we see wasn't about desire, it was about idolatry. Look at verses five through eight. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, uh, I will give you their splendor and all authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. If you will then worship me, all of it will be yours. Every bit of it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So much has been written about this second temptation and I think the reason is because it's so grossly offensive. The devil challenging Jesus, the son of God, worship me instead of God. He's basically saying, I want you to exchange the worship of God the Father and if you will, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. And this is actually the devil working his age old trick. This is what he does all the time. He's always trying to deceive us by offering us something in exchange for something else. And, and what we see here is that the devil is, is always satisfied if we're worshiping anything but God the Father. Doesn't matter what it is. And if he can get you to believe that in exchange for that, you're going to receive something that's gonna be better, it's always his trick. So I think one of the promises that this is alluring is that he could be tempting Jesus by saying, hey, I got a little proposition for you. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you the kingdom. It's right here. I'm the ruler of this age, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what people call me, the prince of the power of the air. And, I mean, the darkness. I mean, I, look, man, let's strike this up. We don't have to do all this. You don't have to do that. I will give it to you. But he didn't understand something that we often don't understand. Jesus wasn't trying to build an empire like the Roman Empire was built. He wasn't trying to build a nation. The kingdom of God was going to be built in the hearts of people and it was going to be an eternal kingdom that would come back that Satan can't overthrow anyway. So Satan's trying to get him to exchange something temporary and worship it in the, in the hopes that what would be eternal will be ripped apart. Jesus didn't take the bait. I don't think what's fundamentally happening here is, is something that Satan does all the time. He tempts us to exchange the worship of God for something else. And, and we could do it in this church. Couldn't we, couldn't we say that, that it would be more important to have, you know, we, we need to kind of dumb it down a little bit here. We just need more people. More people. Well, what if we start chasing culture to get more people? What if we decide that, that the, the, the God we're going to worship is popularity and, and being relevant and, and the God we're going to worship is the acceptance of a culture? I don't know about you, but can I make a confession to you this morning? I really like it when people like me. I really do. I'm a people pleaser. I don't like it when when the outside world calls me names. I don't like it when I'm confronted with things that don't feel good, right? I mean, and I think that's the thing is that 
we can be, we can be a little bit out of step with that because we want to chase culture or compromise our convictions and, and, and say that something isn't wrong when it is wrong. And, and it's really what we're worshiping is the acceptance of men and the praise of men. think that we do that all the time in the United States in the church because we believe that God's kingdom is built through power and buildings institutions I think one of the saddest things to me that continually happens in the American experience is that we find ourselves challenged to believe that God's kingdom is actually built through politics. Did you hear what I just said? That's not how God's kingdom is built. And God forgive all of us who have believed that, myself included. God forgive us for believing that the next answer to God's kingdom was who occupied some house of Congress or some seat at a judicial bench or or, or the presidency, and building our lives and our hopes and dreams among those kinds of things. If, if we believe that, and we begin to worship that, and we think that that's the answer, what are we giving up? You see, for us, we, we have to constantly fight against that. Because we've forgotten that God's kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is when God is reigning in people's hearts and his kingdom will be established forever. That's the kingdom we're looking for. That's the kingdom we're trying to build. It's not an American kingdom. And that is really hard for me to wrap my mind around because I'm gonna tell you, I love my country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I've had the opportunity to go to some very interesting places, some beautiful places, I love my country, and, and you don't have to be around here long to know that I love living in Tennessee. Amen. Thank you. The rest of you, we're going to have counseling for you afterwards. We're going to send some of you to live up north, and then you'll come back and be happy, you know? I love living here, but this is not the kingdom. This is not it. The kingdom is global. The kingdom is being built in that way. And the problem with idolatry is that it promises something that satisfies us immediately and we don't realize what we're giving up in the process. So we chase power or position or fame or money or, or building some kind of political kingdom as if that really matters and we lose sight of the real kingdom that's going to last forever. I want you to notice how Jesus responded because he quotes from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and gives us the fundamental response to idolatry. We must not and cannot worship anything else besides God. Throughout the Old Testament, we find that God is a jealous God. He will not share you or share his worship with some other God. It doesn't work. He is to be worshiped alone. I think Satan loves to believe that he has more to offer us than he really does. And that's why Jesus responds so quickly and so succinctly. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's only one God and he determines how he will be worshiped. You've probably forgotten this, but it's one of the core values that we state as a church. God's revelation of himself guides us to worship him alone. How's God revealed himself? Through the scriptures, 
through the person of the Son of Christ. So when we say God reveals himself to us, we don't stand over the Bible. Listen to me now, this is important. We don't stand over the Bible with our editing hands and our little scissors and start chopping it up and say, mm, we don't like that part. Hey, you know, this part doesn't fit anymore. This part is culturally offensive. We shouldn't talk about that anymore. God has revealed himself to us and our response is to worship him alone, nothing else. And I know in our lives, that's hard because there's these moments where the power that we might have is so appealing. And, and you may sit here today and say, I'm, I'm not tempted by that. You're lying. Power gets to all of us. Don't you like it when you feel important? Power gets to, to our core and, and we think we can be seduced by it. And I mean, we think we're not seduced by it, but we are seduced by it. And and sometimes we think we're doing something really good by, by kind of bending that line or blurring our convictions, but it doesn't work. And any appeal to power that takes us away from the worship of God is a compromise to get something that we can't hold on to. I think oftentimes the compromise in our lives is so easy because it's so convenient. It's easy to, to say, man, I, I want to take the easy way out. Two choices are presented to you. Normally the hard one is the right one. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Normally the one that you're like, ooh, do not want to do that one, that's the right one. The one where you're sitting there going, I, I don't know, this is no big deal. Who's watching? That's the wrong one. The courage of our conviction is to say, I'm going to worship the Lord and how he gives it to us. Now, I want you to think about this. Had Jesus taken this deal, what would he have avoided? The cross? How about that cat of nine tails? You remember that story, the cat of nine tails? It's a whip and, and what the Romans did with it in, in kind of an ultimate act of barbarism. They take a, a whip that's leather and at the end of it, they, they fray it into nine strands and embed rock and bone and, and things like that, sharp objects, so that when you're getting hit, it's not just one lash that you're getting. I mean, it, it's compounded by the nine ends of this thing ripping away your flesh. Hey, Jesus, take this, no cross, no cat of nine tails, they're not gonna pluck your beard. They're not gonna put the crown of thorns on. I mean, this is the easy way. This is the best way. He could have avoided that, but here's what he would have missed out on. He would have missed out on getting the name that is above all names. That's his reward. He would have been missing out on the, the eternal kingdom that was promised to him. He would have missed out on the inheritance of the nations that are actually his. So, so he, he, he could have missed that, but what would he have given up? He would have given up everything. If you have to compromise to get where you want to go, it's not worth getting there. Satan was actually offering things that weren't really his to offer. And that's always the temptation. You're offered something that's not really yours to take, wasn't really Satan's to offer. It's the same thing that ensues from the fall. We cannot compromise. We must stay true to the Lord and worship him alone. Look at this third temptation. It's a temptation to test the Lord. In verse nine it says, he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will give his angels orders 
concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. And the devil had finished every temptation. He departed from him for a time. This temptation actually sounds a lot like what started with the book of Genesis. Doesn't Satan love to say, did God really say that? If these conditional statements, if, if you are really the son of God, prove it. He loves to say that God might've missed something or God didn't really say that or he twists what God said and he uses it against us. And at this point, it should be no surprise to us that Jesus responded to the temptation in the way that he does. He quotes scripture again from Psalm number 91. Because, I'm sorry, Satan, Satan twists the scripture from Psalm number 91 and Jesus responds with another scripture. Sorry, I got that, I got that backwards. Uh, Satan uses Psalm 91 and he says, here's what the word of God says. What do you think about that? If it's really true, let's find out. Let's, let's prove it. And Jesus' response from Deuteronomy is in chapter six this time where he says, don't test the Lord your God. We're not supposed to do that. This temptation and this misuse of scripture is trying to get Jesus to violate another scripture. Isn't that funny? Satan would take scripture and try to get you to violate another scripture. That's why it's important for you to know the whole counsel of the word of God and not just cherry pick your favorite book of the Bible and read it over and over and over and over and over again. And yeah, I mean, you have to know the whole counsel of the word of God. It's a lifetime of learning, isn't it, for us to be able to do that? Well, the devil's line of thinking seems to be like this, isn't it? Well, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, then God's not gonna allow anything to happen to you because you're the one. You're the promised one. So if you really are, we're gonna find out. We're gonna test this and see what happens. Now, little did he know that God was going to allow something bad to happen to Jesus. What was it? God was going to place all the sins of humanity on Jesus and send him to the cross so that he could die a death that wasn't his to die so that we might be saved. This idea that God was always trying to protect the Messiah, nothing could be further from the truth. God was putting him in the center of his will and the center of his will, there came a crossroads where Jesus was going to have to suffer for our sins. So what's wrong with testing the Lord? Why is this a temptation? Well, it's a problem to test the Lord because maybe it, it goes a, a one of two ways. Maybe it's us really testing our faith. We, we put ourselves in situations, it's because we don't really believe that God's gonna come through and we're basically kind of the skeptic saying, prove it again, Lord, prove it again. That's not living by faith. That's living by sight, isn't it? God, I'm gonna serve you. God, I will do this if you prove it again, prove it again, prove it again, prove it again, over and over and over again. Did God tell Jesus to jump off the temple? Nope. Did God tell Jesus that that was necessary for him to do? He didn't. But Satan is saying, if you really are the son of God, then do it. But maybe it's that kind of thing. He's saying, like, Jesus, do you really trust that God's gonna take care of you? Or are you gonna do it? Well, put him to the test. God needs to come through or else we won't believe in him. But the second way we might view this too is, is that it reveals something else about our faith. And it's almost dictating to the Lord and what his will should be for our lives. And this could be something uh, as crazy as somebody who sells everything they have, quits their job and says, I'm going to live by faith. 
I just have one question for you. Did God tell you to do that? Because if he didn't, you're crazy. You, you don't get to dictate to God what he's going to do. I've known some people who have done that, but it was because God clearly, through the scripture, through circumstances, through wise counsel, led them down that path. Did God tell you to do that? If God didn't tell you to do that, to step into that and say, well, I'm living by faith now, that's what Jesus would have been doing. I'm just gonna punt right off the top of the temple right here and see if God does it. Because I believe that he will. Well, did God tell you we're gonna do that? Here's what that is, ready? That'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lighting a furnace and jumping in to see what happened. That's not how the story goes, is it? It doesn't work that way. That'd be like Daniel, uh, Daniel saying, cannonball into the lion's den, you know? Just for fun, it doesn't work that way. If God's not telling us to do something, then we don't need to do it. If we do these types of things, then we're imposing our will on the Father and demanding that he satisfy our faith. That's not faith. It doesn't work that way. Think about it like this. This is a temptation that we must resist the emotionalism that often comes at the outer limits of our faith. If we don't find ourselves doing the things that God called us to do, we're in the wrong. But if we find ourselves doing things that God never called us to do, something's wrong with that too. There has to be an obedience to the will of God. Here's what we can be sure about faith is that God leads us absolutely to where he wants us to be and where he wants us to be. He will absolutely provide everything that we need and take care of us in every way that he needs to because that's the best place for us. I remember a number of years ago, a very popular Christian book kind of sweeping the nation. And, and if you read the book, the, the challenge of the book was that we need to, to really get serious about sharing our faith with people and, and do whatever it takes to do that. Is there anything wrong with that? There's not. Are we supposed to share our faith with people? It is. Uh, we should. But, but can, can I tell you something that came out of the reading of that book? I can't tell you how many young people came to me and said, I'm giving away all the stuff in my house. What? Why? Well, I read this book. Well, the book didn't say do that. The book said that that's what the author did. Did God call you to do that? Well, I don't know then before you take that sack of clothes to goodwill, I'd hold on to it for a minute. Or it might get really cold around your house this winter, you know? Well, why do we have to do that? Well, I can't look at your experience and say, well, that, that's what God wants me to do. I, 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 you, were, you were called to, to go on this mission trip. Does that mean that everybody's called to go on that mission trip? You were called to plant a church. Does that mean everybody was called to do that? It doesn't. When, when we get to the outer limits, sometimes we get this emotionalism that sweeps over us and we're just gonna say, I'm just gonna jump out and let God take care of the rest. That is good if God told you to do it. But to demand that God do these things is to dictate to God's will what should be done. Hey, I've got this bright idea, Lord. I'm gonna go do this ministry and I want you to just resource it and fund it and make it happen. It's gonna be awesome. And then we get out there and wonder why it's not working sometimes. And God's going, man, that was a great idea, but it was not my idea for your life. 
Do you ever find yourself wanting to do fantastic things for God? I mean, like I read these stories of the great heroes of our faith and I think, oh man, that would be so awesome to be able to experience some of that. And yet, if God's not leading us to that, we're just dictating to God what he should do. And because Jesus was 100% tied to the Father, he was never going to do that. You couldn't make him turn a stone to bread. You couldn't get him to compromise who he worshiped. And you were never going to get him to dictate what the will of God was for his life. Well, I'm gonna ask you this question. What temptation are you fighting today? Is it to satisfy a desire with a shortcut? We often find ourselves with that. Maybe it's to to exchange the worship of the one true God for things that don't matter, things that are temporal or an easy way out. Or maybe we're just trying to dictate to God what his will should be to test the Lord. Do you know where the scripture says you can test the Lord? This is awesome. I got, a, I got a place for you to do it because it's one of the very few places in scripture where God says, check it out, try me. You're not gonna wanna hear what I have to say though because it's like, well, I don't wanna test the Lord in that. I wanna jump off the building and see if God will save me. How about you just tithe this week because it says, try me now in this and see if I will not. Open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing You find out if God's faithful there or not. But a lot of times we're like, no, well, I don't want to do that test, pastor. Why not? It's real simple. Check it out today. You see, if if I'm dictating God's will to him, I'm God. Doesn't work that way. So I want to challenge you today. Are you fighting temptation Go back to the scriptures. Let the scriptures inform how you fight. Here's what the scripture says about Satan and his temptations. It just says all we have to do is resist. It doesn't say we have to to go toe-to-toe and start fighting with him, you know? How do you resist a bear attack? Have you ever thought about that? Anybody? Nobody? Some of you are like, I was attacked by a bear one time, yeah? No, I mean, how do you do it? No, no. Don't punch it in the nose. You ball up. You resist. That's it. Play dead, right? I mean, that's the thing. You don't run. You don't get a stick and start trying to beat up a bear. It doesn't work that way. When we fight Satan, we're we're not called to go toe-to-toe. It just says resist. So as he throws the body blows at us, resist. When, When he tries to hit you in the head, resist. When he tries to hit you in the back, turn. Resist. You just resist. And what does he say? Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Turn to the scriptures. Some days you may feel like you live right there all day. Lord, I'm just, I'm just praying right now. Help me. I'm resisting. Give me strength. Bring the scripture to my, 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 my brain, Holy Spirit, so that I'll know what to say. Refresh my memory with it. But I've got to resist right now. And it says that Satan will flee. A lot of times we believe that when Satan comes and starts tempting us, we don't have any choice but to give in. 
Our foe is powerful, no doubt. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I want you to bow your heads, pray with me. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I believe that there are just probably believers in the room today who have been fighting temptation all week. They may be tired this morning. Lord, for some of us, it's to shortcut a desire and just fulfill that thing right now any way we want to. Would you remind us that you give us all desires? God, only you can fulfill them. For some of us, Lord, we've exchanged the worship of the one true God for something that won't last. Forgive us. For others of us, Lord, it's like we're trying to dictate our will to you. God, would you forgive us for being so prideful as to do that? Help us depend on you. God, I pray for us this morning that as we resist, you would cause our enemy to flee. Give us strength this morning. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Bring the scripture to our mind, Lord. Give us discerning eyes and ears to know the truth, to live it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.